Preface of the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans by Handley Mole. Preface. Hearing read, as I do continually, the epistles of the blessed Paul, I delight in the enjoyment of this spiritual trumpet, and my heart leaps up and my longings set me glowing, as I recognize the voice so dear to me, and seem to image the speaker all but present to me, and to see him in discourse. But I mourn and am distressed because all do not know this man as they should know him. It is from hence our myriad evils spring from our ignorance of the scriptures. Hence grows this epidemic of our heresies, hence our neglected lives, hence our unfruitful toil. St. Chrysostom, Preamble to Homilies on the Epistle to the Romans. He who attempts to expound the epistle to the Romans when his sacred task is over is little disposed to speak about his commentary. He is occupied rather with an ever deeper reverence and wonder over the text which he has been permitted to handle, a text so full of a marvellous man, above all so full of God. But it seems needful to say a few things about the style of the running translation of the epistle which will be found interwoven with this exposition. The writer is aware that the translation is often rough and formless. His apology is that it has been done with a view not to a connected reading, but to the explanation of details. A rough piece of rendering, which would be a misrepresentation in a continuous version, because it would be out of scale with the general style, seems to be another matter when it only calls the reader's attention to a particular point presented for study at the moment. Again, he is aware that his rendering of the Greek article in many passages, for example, where he has ventured to explain it by our, true, etc., is open to criticism, but he intends no more in such places than a suggestion, and he is conscious, as he has said sometimes at the place, that it is almost impossible to render the article, as he has done in these cases, without certain exaggeration, which must be discounted by the reader. The use of the article in Greek is one of the simplest and most assured things in grammar, as to its main principles, but as regards some details of the application of principle, there is nothing in grammar which seems so easily to elude the line of law. It is scarcely necessary to say that on questions of literary criticism, which in no respect, or at most remotely, concern exposition, this commentary says little or nothing. It is well known to literary students of the epistle that some phenomena in the text, from the close of chapter 14 onwards, have raised important and complex questions. It has been asked whether the great doxology, 16 verses 25 to 27, always stood where it now stands, whether it should stand at the close of our chapter 14, whether its style and wording allow us to regard it as contemporary with the epistle as a whole, or whether they indicate that it was written later in St. Paul's course, whether our 15th and 16th chapters, whether Pauline, are not out of place in an epistle to Rome, in particular whether the list of names in chapter 16 is compatible with a Roman destination. These questions, with one exception, that which affects the list of names, are not even touched upon in the present exposition. The expositor personally convinced that the pages we know as the epistle to the Romans 
are not only all genuine but intimately coherent, has not felt himself called to discuss, in a devotional writing, subjects more proper to the lecture-room and the study, and which certainly would be out of place in the ministry of the pulpit. Meantime, those who care to read a masterly debate on the literary problems in question may consult the recently published volume, Biblical Studies, by the late Bishop Lightfoot of Durham. That volume contains three critical essays, two by Bishop Lightfoot, one by the late Dr. Hort, on the structure and destination of the epistle to the Romans. The two illustrious friends, Hort criticizing Lightfoot, Lightfoot replying to Hort, examine the phenomena of Romans 15 to 16. Lightfoot advocates the theory that St. Paul, sometime after writing the epistle, issued an abridged edition for wider circulation, omitting the direction to Rome, closing the document with our chapter 14, and then, not before writing, as a finale, the great doxology. Hort holds to the practical entirety of the epistle as we have it, and reasons at length for the contemporaneousness of 16 verses 25 to 27 with the rest. We may note here that both Hort and Lightfoot contend for the conciliatory aim of the Roman epistle. They regard the great passage about Israel, chapters 9 to 11, as in some sense the heart of the epistle, and the doctrinal passages preceding this as all more or less meant to bear on the relation not only of the law and the gospel, but of the Jew and the Gentile as members of the one Christian church. There is great value in this suggestion, explained and illustrated as it is in the essays in question. But the thought may easily be worked to excess. It seems plain to the present writer that when the epistle is studied from within its deepest spiritual element, it shows us the apostle fully minded of the largest aspects of the life and work of the church, but also and yet more occupied with the problem of the relation of the believing sinner to God. The question of personal salvation was never, by St. Paul, forgotten in that of Christian policy. To return for a moment to this exposition, or rather to its setting, it may be doubted whether, in imagining the dictation of the epistle to be begun and completed by St. Paul within one day, we have not imagined a hard thing. But at worst, it is not an impossible thing, if the apostle's utterance was as sustained as his thought. It remains only to express the hope that these pages may serve in some degree to convey to their readers a new tolle lege for the divine text itself, if only by suggesting to them sometimes the words of St. Augustine, To Paul I appeal from all interpreters of his writings. Ridley Hall, Cambridge, All Saints' Day, 1893. For as much as this epistle is a light and way unto the whole scripture, I think it meet that every Christian man not only know it, by rote and without the book, but also exercise himself therein ever more continually, as with the daily bread of the soul. No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is, the more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is, and the more groundly it is searched, the preciouser things are found in it so great treasure of spiritual things lieth hid therein. W. Tyndale after Luther Towards the close of one of my nights of suffering, at half-past four, I asked my kind watcher to read me a chapter of the Word of God. He proposed the eighth of the epistle to the Romans. I assented, but with request that, to secure the connection of ideas, he would go back to the sixth and even to the fifth 
We read in succession the four chapters, five, six, seven, eight, and I thought no more of sleep. Then we read the ninth and the remaining passages to the end, with an interest always equal and sustained. And then the first four, that nothing might be lost. About two hours had passed. I cannot tell you how I was struck in thus reading the epistle as a whole with the seal of divinity, of truth, of holiness, of love, and of power which is impressed on every page, on every word. We felt, my young friend and I, that we were listening to a voice from heaven. A. Monod Quelques mots sur la lecture de la Bible End of preface